This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, a very good morning. Bokatov, how are you? Bokatov, uh, we haven't had a chance to talk here since your return from Israel last week. Um, so it's good to catch up. But we did, of course, um, spend a few very, very useful and meaningful hours together when you were here. And uh, we've had some communication. Uh, offline. Mm. I just wanted to raise um, a certain point that we communicated about last week and just share it a little with the listeners um, because it's given me some interesting food for thought. And that is the whole issue of the use of the word terrorist Mm -hmm. to describe um, the Hamas uh, people who came over the border on October the 7th and uh, the uh, people who the IDF have been fighting against since then. And um, we have tried to insist upon the use of the word terrorist, even though there are many in the international community who have refrained for whatever reason for using the word terrorist. Um, But you made the point in some of the things that you wrote and some of the things that you've said that this was an invasion. It wasn't simply just a massacre. This was an invasion. And when we use the word terrorist, I sort of wondered to myself whether that term really does justice to the reality Mm. of that invasion. Mm. Because when I look at the Oxford definition of terrorist, it says the following. A person who uses unlawful violence and intimidation. Is there such a thing as lawful violence and intimidation? We'll park that. A person who uses unlawful violence and intimidation, especially against civilians in the pursuit of political aims. Now, that doesn't really encapsulate the concept of an invasion of a military-style operation, which really was what happened on October the 7th. So I'm sort of wondering to myself whether the terrorist is a little too gentle for the term that we need to use um, for those people who um, attacked um, Israelis on October the 7th and those who the IDF have been fighting since then because terrorism almost sounds like haphazard, haphazard, disorganized, not coordinated, unlawful violence, intimidation sounds a little too gentle for really what happened. And so I'm kind of rethinking uh, use of the word terrorist, even though I'm, I'm uh, likely to continue to refer to Hamas operatives as terrorists. Um, but I just wonder whether it's just a little too light for the reality. 
Well, whether whether the the people themselves could be considered terrorists is one thing, but I, I do think that the attack was an invasion. Sixty sites were hit at the same time. Three thousand uh, Hamas members or whoever they were came across the border, land, air, sea, uh, during a barrage of rockets that were were relentless. This was this was an invasion. This was not not simply a terror attack and i think that that mislabeling it like this can be uh, can cause can you know cause damage in the sense that it's a, it is a very different story most countries would respond to an invasion they were invaded whereas a terror attack well should israel be doing what they're doing in gaza because of a terror attack but should they be eliminating hamas for trying to invade israel no for invading israel the way that they did well i think that's that's a bit different um i do agree with you and i think it was really a, a massive military style invasion mm-hmm. it was just it wasn't simply just um, a haphazard terror attack. I mean, we have had those. Uh, we see lone wolf operators um, trying to kill civilians. And uh, I don't know if intimidation is really terrorism, but apparently, according to Oxford, it is. Um, but, and certainly what we saw on October the 7th was way more than terrorism. Um, I agree with mm. you on that. Um, and the problem there is that the moment you start to, to use the term terrorist, you also get involved in this argument of, are they terrorists or are they freedom fighters? And that's just not um, a relevant discussion to Absolutely. be held here. There is no freedom that is being fought for in this particular battle. What's being fought for in this battle is uh, uh, survival and uh, to simply prevent people from destroying. Because uh, let's just remind listeners that the purpose of Hamas is not to fight for freedom and is not to build anything and is not to try to create a positive setup in mm. any possible mm. way, as opposed to the struggle that took place in South Africa, which had as its objective the plan to create a democratic, new look country. Hamas has no plans to create no, not democracy and not new look and not country. They they had the opportunity to create their country. They decided to use that opportunity to destroy, and that is what Hamas's plan is and that's what they are out to do so this is really not about freedom fighting at all and we shouldn't mix it in with terrorism this is military style operation to destroy so I was asked a question on another on another radio station yesterday which was an interesting one and I'd love your answer to this question what I was what was put to me is that in South Africa Uh, pre-apartheid we had this difficult situation and ultimately we moved to being a full democratic environment we didn't look for a two-state solution one for whites and one for blacks why is israel uh, and why are people like me talking about a two-state solution the answer that i gave was as follows i said that well because first of all you've got to recognize that everybody in israel has full rights Uh, just because somebody isn't jewish in israel doesn't mean that they that they that they don't have rights so that's a whole different story but i said perhaps it's because religion uh, goes to the very core of how these states are being run so whether it's a muslim state or whether it's a jewish state just depending on the majority would impact very, very greatly. And when you have a situation that you've got generations who could return 
and uh, you know determine a a different future that that may be part of the reason that was what i gave i'm not even sure that it was the best answer what do you think why why what would you have answered to that question um my response would have been quite similar to the discussion that um i had a a week or two ago on the issue of the two-state solution and what i said was that what we have in this region uh, in this area if you look at the Gaza, uh, you look at Gaza, you look at Israel, and you look at the West Bank area. Um, we have people who live in this in this area, and those people, in my opinion, all deserve to live in a state with rights and uh, obligations that flow from being a proper citizen of a state. And the question is, who lives where and under what circumstances? And while I think that religion certainly has um, some sort of a central part in in at least some of the considerations, I think that ultimately the people of that area that I described really have no desire to live together in one state. Mm -hmm. I think if you asked um, those who live in the West Bank, I think if you asked those in Israel, and I think if you asked those in Gaza, I don't think that many of them would turn around and truly say, oh, we all wish to live in peace and harmony in one country and we will all have democratic rights as civilians in that country. I think that there is too much friction, whether it be religion-based or otherwise, uh, between the various peoples who live in that area. And therefore, a two-state solution seems the most obvious answer and is the one which is very strongly supported, um, not only by the majority of Jews who live in Israel. They would say a two-state solution Um, is a good answer because it allows um, those who don't believe in the way that Israel is being run to live in their own country under Mm -hmm. their own rules and under their own setup. Um, And uh, I think that those people who are um, living in Gaza and in the West Bank would turn around and say, well, we do want a one-state solution, but we want a one-state solution which is Judenfrei, which is free of Jews. Um, that's clearly not going to happen. Right. So therefore, the next logical step from there is to create um, a, st- a state for the Jews and a state for uh, the uh, Arabs or the Muslims or however you wish to term it, uh, which is really what the 1947 uh, resolution that went through the Palestine Partition Plan, Partition Plan resolution went through in the United Nations, uh, which said exactly that. So I think that a two-state solution to me seems the most obvious solution for what is an intractable problem in this area. Um, The problem, of course, is that um, at least in Gaza and elsewhere around uh, the the Palestinian Authority area, those people wouldn't accept a two-state solution because they simply don't want the Jews here. And therein lies the problem. Their objective is not to create a state rather to destroy one their objective is to destroy the jewish state and once that's done i don't know that they really have an objective to create their own place instead of that their own country instead of the the jewish state i think they just want to make sure that there is no jewish state the rest um will be thought about afterwards i guess right yeah 
it's an interesting answer. I'd love your thoughts on 345 or 061-895-1019. A barrage of 60 rockets was fired towards Israel by Hezbollah yesterday. So uh, w- what is going on? There's been an increase, definitely lots of talk when I was in Israel, almost the worst kept secret in the world that, that there's going to be some form of escalation here, perhaps a full war uh, with Hezbollah. It's it's definitely out there and we can see this increasing almost daily. What, what is going on? I think what we're seeing here is um, a, a, a little bit of a, a dance backwards and forwards. And you're right. I mean, there are certain days like yesterday when the uh, intensity increases dramatically. Um, and that was the case when uh, we saw the, the barrage of 60 rockets yesterday, which, according to Hezbollah, was in response to an Israeli attack that was carried out in the city of Baalbek, which is approximately 100 kilometers away from the Israeli border. And um, that in that attack that Israel carried out in Baalbek, apparently um, a senior Hezbollah um, uh, militant was killed someone who has the rank of the equivalent of brigade commander. He was apparently on his way to a, a, a village in the south of Lebanon. Uh, and um, the IDF have actually acknowledged uh, that they were responsible for killing him, uh, which is a rare occasion because generally speaking, the IDF have not uh, acknowledged any of the attacks that have been carried out in Lebanon. But yesterday they did. Rarely, rarely acknowledged that they were responsible for carrying out this attack. And as a result of that, Hezbollah said that they'd fired this barrage towards the Israeli base in the Golan. That was the way that they described their response. In reality, the barrage was not quite as accurate as that. There was a report of one Israeli man um, being injured um, in that barrage um, in the uh, uh, d- during the time that those missiles uh, were being uh, fired. And in fact, um, there was this very, very uh, frightening video clip that showed a busload of children who were driving in the area at the time when suddenly the barrage of rockets were uh, were fired. And we can see rockets really falling quite randomly all around the countryside in the vicinity of where the bus was, was traveling and they were all forced off the bus to take shelter. Um, so besides that man uh, who was injured at, at Moshev Shtula um, and the uh, risk to those children, it seems as if though that barrage was fired without any further injury or damage as far as we're aware. The IDF said there was no damage um, to uh, any of the, 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 the IDF base in the Golan or elsewhere around northern Israel. And what's interesting as well, in, uh, in addition to that, is that there was an attempt to uh, to fire missiles towards an Israeli drone that was in the skies operating above Lebanon. And we understand that a David Sling uh, missile was fired in order to intercept a surface-to-air missile that was fired towards this drone. Uh, according to the, uh, the official IDF readout, uh, there was one surface-to-air missile that was intercepted by David Sling, but that a second surface-to-air missile did manage to hit the drone that fell in Lebanon somewhere. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means in terms of whether it risked any security information that had been gathered by the drone itself, but it was one of these uh, fairly large drones um, 
and um, there, there was a picture of of the the, the drone itself, um, which was one of these quite uh, significantly large ones that had been brought down in the Lebanese area. So, um, yes, yesterday was certainly a major escalation. Today, things seem a little bit calmer again. I think that what we're seeing, and you're right, Howard, everybody's talking about the possibility of um, a war um, at some point um, over the next few months with Lebanon. Um, and we get the impression that the IDF are currently going through um, some preparations. They're trying to decide the timing of the war rather than allow it just to break out without any control. Um, trying to finish the job in Gaza, there's still quite a lot of work to be done in Gaza. Reports that uh, uh, Sinwar may well be uh, in the Khan Yunus area and may even be known it might be a, a place that's known to the IDF, but uh, reports coming out saying that they're concerned that trying to go after him may risk the lives of hostages who are believed to be in there around him. That's a report that comes out from Israeli and U.S. intelligence. So there is um, some sense that we wish to try to finish what needs to be done in Gaza before opening a new border in the north. Um, but it seems almost inevitable, at least uh, to many of us civilian commentators who don't really know much about what's going on within the IDF itself, it seems almost inevitable that some sort of a war um, will take place in order to allow um, the IDF to, to do some level of clean-out. I'm not quite sure what they'll manage mm, to do, mm. but some level of clean-out in Lebanon. Yeah, and and very worrying, of course. I mean, I always wonder if if Iran will di be directly drawn into it or not, or if they'll manage to to stay just that little bit away. Yeah, I think that's uh, an interesting conversation that we can have. I'm not sure that no, now is a no good time, time to no. do it. Yeah, but no. my sense is, yeah, my sense is that Iran is trying to stay out as much as they can directly from mm, this conflict. Mm, no doubt about that, Anthony Rach. I don't know why the time goes so quickly when we're chatting. But either way, it is 8 o'clock. We'll catch you tomorrow morning at 7.45. That was Anthony Rach with the Israel Report. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohn from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Tzahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all. Yeah.